0: Okay, welcome everybody. Um, it's good to see, see so many people here on a on a cold winter's night in London. So so welcome. Um, I'm Michael Mason, the director of the LSE Middle East Centre. Um, today tonight's talk is uh, Israel's Basic Law: Motivations and Ramifications with Professor Amal Jamal from Tel Aviv University. Before I introduce the uh, speaker, just to give you a few details about the format uh, for this evening. Those of you, some of you I know are regular, so you know what to expect. For those that don't, um, uh, Professor Jamal will give a talk. This will be a a PowerPoint presentation for about half an hour. Then we will have questions. So as usual in uh, our events here, we give you plenty of time for questions from the audience, okay? Um, I ask you that you silence your phones. I know this is obvious, but sometimes people don't do that. To silence your phones, the talk is being recorded for a future podcast on the LSE Middle East Centre website. Um, when you do ask questions, I'll remind you when we get to that point, I'd ask you, this is not uh, compulsory, but it's helpful if you could identify yourself, please, and um, keep your questions as concise as Possible to enable as many people as possible to uh, ask questions. It's always a It's a crucial part of the LSE kind of events philosophy that our public events are open to as much Audience engagement as possible. So we will we, we look forward to and welcome your questions So uh, our speaker we're very honored delighted actually um, to have professor Amar Jamal who is professor of political science at Tel Aviv University He heads the International Graduate Programme in Political Science and Political Theory. He's also Chair of the Walter Leibach Institute for Jewish-Arab Coexistence and Co-Editor-in-Chief of the journal The Public Sphere, which is published in Hebrew. He's interested in a whole multitude of uh, research fields, but I'll just give you a flavour of them, uh, uh, broadly within the political science, political theory, philosophy area, state structure and civil society, political democratization, civil liberalization, social movements, media consumption, identity construction, minority nationalism, and the struggle for civic equality. He's a true multilingual scholar. He's published uh, professional articles in four languages. And as I said, his talk tonight is Israel's new nation-state law. Just modify that title slightly. Motivations, ramifications. I should let you know that if you want to tweet about the event, which i know many of you like to do the hashtag is LSE israel okay uh, can i first before professor jamal starts uh, join me please in welcoming him to lse thank you thank you thank you
1: <laughs> well good evening everybody i would like to start my talk with thanking michael and rosa for the warm welcoming uh, to the Middle East Center at LSC. I would like to thank you for coming in this cold evening. Uh, I assume that uh, you know a little bit about what's going on in Israel in the last few years, so I can't go into uh, details on every point I'm going to bring up. Uh, I'll try to be as elaborate as possible. I'm going to address uh, Israel's new uh, nation state law and try to look at the motivations and ramifications of uh, this uh, basic law. Uh, And I would like to start with explaining why, why this is uh, uh, an interesting starting point to look at in order to understand what's going on uh, in Israel. As you can see, I'm not going to go, you know, uh, in detail on every point I bring up, but Uh, Certainly, the the basic law uh, is an interesting uh, uh, access point in order to understand the uh, emerging constitutional imagination in Israel, something I'll – a concept that I'll elaborate on later on. Uh, It's uh, enabled us a better read of the social and political trends taking place in Israel uh, in the last few decades. It enables us to look at uh, uh, the main features of the current – Uh, Israeli political culture, uh, especially, and I'm emphasizing the institutionalized discrimination, not only based on national affiliation between Jews and Palestinians inside Israel, but also within the Jewish uh, majority between secular and religious Jews. It enables us also to draw attention uh, to the uh, fragility of the democratic procedures uh, in the Israeli political system, as well as it it enables us to point out the, uh, uh, the very often tyrannical na- terr- terr- nature of the decision-making process taking place in the Knesset in the last few years. It enables us also to better understand the interplay between uh, internal and external factors influencing Israeli uh, politics in general and uh, in particular when it comes to uh, 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 decision-making and legislation. Now, when it comes to the law itself, I differentiate between two uh, camps. Actually, uh, one camp uh, 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 are the proponents of the of the law. Uh, these uh, 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 MKs usually political parties, uh, social forces uh, belittle actually the importance uh, of the law, and they say the law is not doesn't bring anything new. It actually only reflects uh, uh, the reality that has been taking place uh, in Israel in the last few decades, uh, and therefore uh, it 's only uh, uh, a natural development that has should have uh, taken place in the past and did not, and uh, the other camp are the opponents of of the law, and here I differentiate between two groups: one group. That say if the law doesn't come with anything new, why make it? Uh, especially because it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it creates uh, an unnecessary upheavals among, you know, Palestinians in the State of Israel. And the second group within the opponents' camp uh, say that uh, it's a very, very serious and fundamental change taking place, reflecting actually the uh, hegemony of the right wing. Uh, conservative, nationalist, religious, uh, uh, historical block that uh, is, established itself in the last few decades, mainly from the beginning 1980s, and uh, as a result, it introduces uh, a new constitutional and political reality uh, that reflects the, uh, the ideology, actually, of, of this uh, historical block. Uh, when it comes to my position, I agree with the uh, second group. Uh, of the uh, opponents of uh, of the law, uh, and i dis- disagree with those who belittle the meaning and the impact of, of the law and uh, I maintain that the new law uh, aims to construct actually a new constitutional reality in Israel. Uh, it is rooted in a transformative constitutional imagination it uh, 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 it, it comes to uh, uh, propagate, actually, or to promote uh, the domination of uh, a new closed ethno-theological perception of the uh, Israeli state. Uh, uh, and this uh, a new ideological uh, perception of the state uh, has a, a clear formula that tries to uh, actually uh, overlap Uh, between the land of Israel, the people of Israel, and the state of Israel. I'll elaborate uh, on that uh, in in a minute. Uh, In my view, this basic law is a a comprehensive attempt to redefine the main characteristics of the uh, Israeli state, uh, and it's not limited to uh, ascribing certain values to it, as some of the proponents of the law uh, uh, argue. Now. Uh, in my view, this basic law is ingrained in a transformative constitutional imagination. uh, And I would like to say why I think so. First, it does not allow any reconciliation between the national and the civic character of the state. This is something new. And it's new because it it contradicts the Israeli constitutional tradition ingrained, ingrained in the Israeli Declaration of Independence and uh, um, I argue that uh, despite the fact that the Declaration of independence uh, is a Zionist document uh, defining Israel from the beginning as, uh, as a Jewish state, in spirit, at least, it remains open for a future possible reconciliation between the state's Jewish and civic character. It didn't happen, but it's, it's an open document. And those who read the Declaration of Independence can see what I'm I'm talking about. This is opposed, of course, to the new law that tries to close this openness and uh, define the state in a certain way that I will elaborate also later on. Uh, So the the new law uh, has ramifications not only for non-Jewish citizens, which is natural, uh, those who know Israeli politics, know the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, know that there is a deep conflict between the Jewish community uh, majority inside Israel and the minority of Palestinians who remained in Israel after 1948, and as well as with the Palestinians living in the occupied territories in the West Bank and Gaza, and of course with the Palestinian people living uh, in exile. Uh, So it's not only about that, it's also about the difference uh, between you know, the the social and political trends taking place uh, among uh, a growing number of Israeli Jews who are becoming more and more religious and nationalist vis-a-vis liberal segments of the Israeli Jewish society. And it's uh, uh, transformative uh, in in the sense that it deviates from the dominant meaning of what we uh, uh, call uh, civil sovereignty in the modern state. Uh, Civil sovereignty in the modern state is usually a sovereignty of the citizens of the state. And we're talking here about something that comes to replace the sovereignty of the citizens with uh, the sovereignty of, uh, uh, of an ethnic nation, uh, that part of it – part of which lives outside uh, the borders of the State of Israel. So it's uh, – th- this, this change is very uh, uh, fundamental, in my view, and we have to delve deep into the uh, 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 building blocks of the law in order to understand uh, this uh, transformation. But before I go into that, I think uh, 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 an epistemological framework is necessary in order to make that uh, more understandable. I draw on uh, several people, of course, when I speak about uh, this topic, uh, uh, and, and the main concept I repeated already uh, several times is the transformative constitutional imagination. And uh, one of the proponents of this concept is part of this university. Uh, when I started him fast, I did not know that, but when I looked Looked him up. I found out that he's from LSC. Uh, It's Martin Lolin from the uh, law school uh, who uh, argues that uh, a political reality uh, uh, must obtain affirmation from a symbolic legitimizing foundation that is deeply related to either a sacred source or a form of collective representation. When it comes to the concept itself, he defines constitutional imagination uh, as referring to the manner in which, and I'm citing him, of course, manner in which constitutions can harness the power of narrative, symbol, ritual, and myth to pro- project an account of political existence in, a, in ways that shape and reshape political reality. End of citation. He draws on the French philosopher Paul Rico arguing that the idea of collective self-representation and citing uh, him again, is situated at the core of the Constitutional imagination and its meaning is determined by an interaction between the concept of ideology and utopia. Of course, those who know Paul can go back to him and find out the difference between ideology and, and, uh, uh, and utopia, I can't go into that uh, today. But in order to make my point clear, Ricard differentiates between reproductive imagination manifested in ideology and productive imagination that is articulated in utopia. Reproductive imagination assumes the existence of an original reality and the image is a uh, uh, another uh, equal copy of it. Uh, productive imagination in contrast is not duplicative of any uh, of and is not determined by uh, uh, original reality and I think uh, when we come to this concept it 's important to speak about the productive uh, 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 the productive dimension of the nation state law in Israel because it tries actually to go beyond uh, Summarizing an existing reality as the proponents of the law argue and produce a new reality that is, is different. Uh, productive imagination is related, according to Ricoeur, to the possibility of the nowhere in relation to our social condition, which means it's trying, it has a, a, a metaphysical uh, dimension, trying to bring an ideal reality into. Uh, uh, the uh, reality in which we live. And this, of course, means that uh, uh, the role of the law is far beyond trying to summarize what's going on uh, 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 on the ground and bring a model that uh, Israel should aspire for. uh, And I will elaborate or uh, illustrate what I'm speaking about in a minute. Uh, Of course, uh, uh, we can go on with, uh, uh, with, with this uh, epistemological uh, framework, the, the, the last point I would like to, to uh, uh, speak about, uh, that uh, uh, for imagination to be effective, and we are talking about constitutional imagination, transformative constitutional imagination, for it to be effective, it must transform existing categories to point a new kind of reality, which means it cannot be completely disconnected from reality. Uh, It has to be rooted in reality somehow, but take reality to uh, a a new uh, form uh, which the uh, law speaks about. Uh, And of course, uh, uh, there are a few other ideas that uh, uh, I bring in in, in my paper uh, about this topic, uh, and because of the limitation of time, I'm not going to go into them at at this point. Uh, I would like to uh, give you a brief history of the law. Um, the, the first uh, iteration of the law, the first version uh, of the uh, of the bill at the time, came about in 2011 by uh, a member of the Kadima party at that time, the ruling party of Olmert and Sharon before him, Avigdor, uh, uh, who was the head of the uh, General Security uh, Services in Israel, who before the hand was the chief of the Israeli uh, Marine Forces and the Israeli uh, Army. So he's a security uh, man who became a member of Knesset, a member of parliament and uh, part of the Kadima party and moved later on to the recruit party because of his uh, attitudes, his uh, uh, ideology as more nationalist, as more security oriented person. Uh, the, the second uh, formulation came about uh, in the, 13th, uh, in the sorry, 19th, in, in 2011, by uh, Ayelet Shaked, uh, whom we know uh, as the uh, Justice Minister in Netanyahu's government currently. Uh, and uh, uh, of course, uh, she was part of the Jewish Home Party, which she left a few, few weeks ago in order to establish a new party called the New Zionist Party. Uh, Those who are interested in Israeli politics, of course, can go and learn about this process or this change uh, a little bit more. And the second was uh, uh, Yariv Levine, who was part of the Likud party, a very close uh, affiliate uh, of uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. Uh, Their their proposal did not pass at the the time. There was no majority to uh, accept their version. And therefore, after the 2015 elections, when Netanyahu established his Fourth government, uh, Abiy uh, became a very central figure uh, in the Knesset, and uh, with the advice of uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, he came up with a new version uh, to the Knesset. And this version, actually, after long time of elaboration, about two and a half years uh, in a special committee that was established in the Israeli parliament in order to uh, enact the law. Uh, this law was confirmed by a majority of 62 vis-a-vis 55 on 19th July 2018. And this shows you the 62 versus 55 that the law actually reflects a deep rift in Israeli society. It's, a not, it's not a big majority. If it's a basic law, So, uh, and and it has a constitutional standing defining Israel Uh, as such. uh, A majority of 62 vis-a-vis 55 uh, shows or mirror uh, a deep rift in uh, in Israeli uh, reality. Uh, So, so, but it was confirmed at at the time. Uh, To keep the treatment of the law in concert with the main argument of this talk, I would like to relate only to five parts of the law. The law has many clauses. I can't go into all of them, but uh, I would like to address uh, five of them. Uh, the first one is the first part of the law composed of three basic principles which are uh, very important uh, to speak about. The second uh, clause I'm going to or the second part of the law I'm going to address are the clauses relating to language. The third and fourth uh, part are closes uh, related to the, uh, the ingathering of exiles and the relationship between the state of Israel and the Jewish diaspora, and the uh, final and fifth uh, uh, part I'm relating to is the clause on Jewish uh, settlement. Uh, of course, why relating to this, you will uh, probably understand by uh, when I when I elaborate on, on these parts in uh, in a minute. So let's start with the with the first. Uh, component with the first part of uh, of the law, and we are talking about uh, uh, um, uh, the the uh, basic principles. As you can see, the first principle, uh, I'm going to read it to you, the land of Israel is the historic homeland of the Jewish people in which the state of Israel was established. Now reading this, uh, of course, it's, it doesn't differ very much from the uh, Declaration of Independence, uh, but it's still... Uh, it's a continuous. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an attempt to establish a continuous uh, historical bond between, an exclusive, of course, bond between the Jewish people and the land of Israel, which, for some people, it's called Palestine. Uh, uh, second, the State of Israel has been established in part of historical, uh, of the historical land, and this is a very important point. So, uh, which, uh, uh, of course, uh, when we look at the formulation, the land of Israel is the historical land of, of the Jewish people, in which. The state of Israel was established. So uh, the state of Israel was not established uh, in the whole uh, land of uh, of Israel. This is very important. And the borders uh, of neither the land nor uh, uh, the state are really defined uh, in in the law. Uh, This already gives you a hint where the law is going. The second uh, principle, Israel is the nation state of the Jewish people in which it exercises its natural... Cultural, religious, and historical rights to self determination. Uh, of course, this means immediately that no other cultural and historical tradition, namely that of the Palestinians who live on the land, uh, which the Jews call the land of Israel, the Palestinians call Palestine, can be translated into identity and into the identity of the state. The state is exclusively a Jewish state and is, is related to the Jewish people. The national home of the Jewish people cannot also be a national home. In other words, of citizens who are not uh, of Jewish descendants. And this is uh, uh, important. The third uh, basic principle, the right to exercise national self-determination in the state of Israel is uniquely uh, that of the Jewish people. Which means, and you can look at the points I I made up here. I I, I won't go uh, into all of them. Uh, Of course, it means that self-determination is exclusively for the Jewish people. Uh, it could be since the land of Israel is not defined, since the state of Israel is not defined, it could be within the Green Line. It could be also uh, uh, inclusive of the uh, Palestinian territories occupied in 1967. Uh, Of course, when we look at the policies, recent policies of the Israeli government trying to apply Israeli law in the occupied territories of 1967, then the meaning of the law becomes very elaborate, becomes very important. It relates actually to the land of Israel, including the West Bank, and and the Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip, of course, is out of the game as a result of the pull out of the Israeli uh, army back in 2005. But when we look at the West Bank, uh, Hebron, uh, Nablus, and uh, and other areas, it becomes, uh, Bethlehem, of course, and so on, becomes a very important point to uh, bring into mind. And uh, of course, when we look at this uh, uh, this this close, it renders uh, civic sovereignty impossible. Because if the sovereignty is related, the self-determination, and, which means sovereignty in this, uh, in this regard, is uniquely that of the Jewish people, it means that no other people can be sovereign in the land of Israel. And this is a, a very important and sensitive point that we have to uh, think about when we uh, speak about the law. Now, in order to deepen that point and give it even more... Uh, 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 flesh. It, it, it's important to bring up uh, an omitted clause from the bill that, uh, uh, that other people uh, brought up. And uh, 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 let's read together the, the, the omitted uh, clause that was part of the bill and was omitted from the final version. Despite the identity of the State of Israel, as a nation state of the Jewish people and to anchor the values of the state of Israel as Jewish and democratic state in the spirit of the principles of declaration of establishment of the state of Israel. Which means in the omitted clause, still people spoke about the need to balance between Israel as a, a, a Jewish state and a democratic state uh, and still refers to the Declaration of Independence, which is an open document as I claimed before. And taking this out means that uh, uh, it wasn't without intention. The the intention of the drafters of the law wanted actually not to refer to the openness uh, of the uh, uh, Declaration of Independence, because the Declaration of Independence of Israel, despite being a Zionist document, despite being, of course, uh, a manifestation of uh, of Jewish sovereignty and uh, and uh, the right of self-determination, it still speaks about equality and non-discrimination and so on and so on which means and invites the palestinians who remain part of israel to become equal citizens in the state and omitting this clause means actually uh, uh, giving up uh, on 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 uh, on these points uh, let's speak about the uh, language clause, which is also very important here. Uh, uh, let's read it together. Uh, the, 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 the part on language are uh, composed of three components. One, the state's language is Hebrew. The Arabic language has a special status in the state regulating the use of Arabic in state institutions or by them will th- be set in law. And this clause does not harm the status given to the Arabic language before this law came into effect. This is very sophisticated formulation. First of all, according to uh, the Israeli law before this law, Arabic was an official language in Israel. It's very important to take a consideration. The, the Declaration of Independence all already, and the founders of the state recognized the fact that the language of the land was Arabic, and part of the citizens of the state are Palestinians speaking Arabic and therefore respected. Uh, uh, the status of the Arabic language uh, as not only a language but also a culture. And when it comes to the law now, the, the state's language is Hebrew. That's it. Arabic language is not official anymore. And, uh, uh, of course, uh, Arabic language is downgraded from an official language into a language of special status. Uh, uh, and uh, it establishes a hierarchy between uh, the Hebrew and Arabic. Uh, of course, uh, What I think uh, the meaning of this change is actually uh, viewing the Arabic language uh, in broader terms affiliated with the Palestinian past of the land, which is conceived by the proponents of the law as uh, a violation of the identity of the state as Jewish. And this is a very important point to take into consideration. I think uh, this is crucial uh, to remember. Uh, the, the next uh, 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 parts have to do with the gathering of exiles and uh, connection to the Jewish uh, people. Uh, of course, are, uh, these are two parts uh, that, that I uh, uh, look at and uh, important to uh, 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 look at them deeply. Uh, of course, the state will be open for Jewish immigration and the Ingadi Israel. This is real in Israel. It has been always like that. The connection with the Jewish people uh, is the same, but please look with me uh, at the, the last component down there. The state shall act to uh, preserve the cultural, historical, and religious heritage of the Jewish people among Jews in the diaspora. Okay, when we take that and look at what's going on, I think we have to Uh, point point out several uh, uh, issues. One is that these clauses ignore 20 percent of the state's citizens uh, who have a culture, who have a language, who have people living outside Palestine affiliated, uh, uh, outside Israel, of course, in this regard, uh, affiliated with them. And uh, uh, I would like to uh, you to, uh, 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 I mean, to draw your attention to two points here. One, uh, the issue of uh, you know, the relationship between citizens and diaspora or exiles. This is one point in terms of culture, in terms of uh, language, in terms of tradition and, and, and identity, and so on and so on. And emphasizing exclusively the Jewish identity, uh, exclude the Palestinian from this possibility. The second thing is public resources. The Palestinian citizens are tax, uh, uh, taxpayers, and when you exclude them from allocation of resources of the state, It means a violation of their basic rights that have to be uh, also considered. The last point uh, in the law uh, has to do with uh, the Jewish settlements, and and the clause speaks about uh, the state views the development of Jewish settlements as a national value, and will act to encourage and promote its establishment and consolidation. Of course, I point here to point out two two issues. One. The state justifies what it has done so far in developing exclusive Jewish settlements, and we are talking about over 800 Jewish settlements and zero Arab settlements since 1948. This is a, a very important point. And the state does not view the development of Arab settlements as a national value. If it's only Jewish settlements, then what about the Arab citizens? It doesn't view them as a national value, uh, uh, and this is uh, important to point out. Now. Uh, here, uh, I think, a few points uh, – uh, I know I'm short in time. Uh, I should finish uh, in a few minutes, but uh, I would like to uh, just raise up here uh, f- f- a few points. One, the, the law, uh, of of course, uh, in my view, comprises the substantive meaning of democracy. Uh, this is one thing. It secures the divorce between the national rights of the Jewish people and uh, the civil rights of Israel citizens this differentiation is very important. It renders all Jews, Jewish people the custodians of the state of Israel and exclusively sovereign people uh, of the state of Israel. It doesn't afford the Palestinian citizens of Israel any national or collective expression. It views any effort to call for national rights for the PCI Palestinian citizens of Israel as a violation of the law. And uh, of course, when we read Abidhta after the Uh, Law was approved in the Knesset on the 19th of July, 2018. You can read him. uh, 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 His goal was actually to dismiss the possibility of turning Israel into a state of all its citizens, as if there is a contradiction between defining Israel as a national state of the Jewish people, on the one hand, and a state of all its citizens. This means that this majority, Uh, supporting the law views a contradiction between these two uh, uh, formulas, something that uh, differs or deviates from what the Declaration of Independence intended to do on the one hand and what is accepted actually in normal democracies, uh, uh, in in the West at least. Now, uh, since my time is short, I try to uh, speak about why now? I mean, why the basic law now? Why this basic law? Why the the, the basic law of of, of, uh, uh, the nation state law? Uh, Now I speak about five uh, factors. I'm going to really briefly speak about them in order to leave time for you guys uh, uh, to pose questions. Uh, First, of course, it has to do with the Israeli Palestinian negotiations. Uh, When you establish Israel as a state of the Jewish uh, people exclusively And you demand that in any negotiations, the Palestinians have to recognize Israel as a Jewish state. Then it means recognizing it as exclusively Jewish and emptying any demand of the Palestinian citizens for collective rights from any meaning. Uh, It's preempting, actually, the negotiations between the two sides. This is one external factor. The second external factor uh, has to do with uh, 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 the, the efforts made abroad in certain uh, uh, Western countries to delegitimize Israel, uh, and I think that the, the, this government saw uh, uh, this challenge as a strategic uh, challenge that has to be Uh, 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 of course uh, uh, opposed and uh, to remind the world that Israel was established based on the partition plan uh, 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 and subsequently uh, recognized by the UN as a Jewish state and therefore the law comes actually to reiterate this point and uh, uh, as part of the uh, what I mentioned down there as fight against uh, the BDS mainly uh, but not only. This is another point, why now? And the third point, uh, external point, has to do with, of course, uh, the relationship between Israel and the Jewish communities outside. You know, uh, uh, huge transformations are taking place in the Jewish diaspora, especially in the U.S., and uh, liberal uh, Jews have been criticizing the policy of the State of Israel. So uh, uh, stating this law uh, that clear uh, means that either you're with us or you're against us. Uh, Either you accept uh, the way we define ourselves, we are the sovereign here, either you accept our definition of the state, or uh, you are uh, against us, and uh, of course, this puts uh, uh, these Jewish communities on the spot, Uh, 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 taking them into a battlefield that part of them don't want to uh, enter in the first place. Two, fa- two internal factors uh, behind the law. One is, comes from uh, 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 the institutional tradition. It's the, actually the, uh, uh, the, the tension that has been building up since the late 1980s, early 1990s between the legislative and the judicial authorities uh, of the state uh, as a result of, of many reasons. I can't go into that. Uh, uh, the, the argument of the main argument of the proponents of the law is that uh, the judicial authority has been encroaching on the role of the legislative the legislative has to has the right to define as a president of the people has to de- have the right to define the characteristics of the state of Israel, and therefore uh, the judicial authority cannot interpret the Israeli law. Uh, according to liberal tradition, and uh, since the judiciary have been open and liberal in the 19, late 1980s and early 1990s, uh, uh, the right-wing government wanted to put a limit on this interpretation and therefore uh, the law uh, came in, in order to do that. So this is uh, an internal fight between two uh, 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 institutions of uh, of the state, reflecting, of course, deeper a uh, 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 sociological process between the traditional elites uh, of the state, who tend to be liberal, uh, who tend to be Western-oriented, and the current uh, uh, elites dominating uh, the state of Israel, which tend to be more traditional, more Oriental, more religious, and, and, and so on and so on. And therefore, the ramifications have to do not only with the Palestinians but also within the Jewish community itself. The second and last point. Uh, has to do with the second uh, 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 reasoning or, or the second uh, motivation behind the law. It has to uh, uh, do with uh, uh, with the demand of the Palestinian citizens of Israel uh, of defining Israel as state of its, uh, all its citizens. And we see it in two different ways. One, of course, uh, Palestinian members of Knesset have been trying to Uh, uh, introduce laws that define Israel as a state of its citizens, and the second uh, is the attempt made by Palestinian intellectuals uh, uh, who introduced uh, three visionary documents back in uh, 2006, 2007, trying to define Israel as a state of all its citizens, and of course, uh, vis-a-vis that came uh, up the law. in conclusion, of course, uh, first of all, I hope that I have managed to establish, based on the five clauses I uh, addressed, that we are talking about a new uh, constitutional, uh, constitutional imagination, that we are talking about a huge shift in the Israeli constitutional uh, reality, that we are talking about uh, a deep rift within the Israeli society, uh, not only between Palestinian citizens and Jewish citizens, but also within the the Jewish community itself. And last point, we are talking about actually compromising uh, the procedural dimensions of the Israeli democracy that have been established with the state since then, and are considered to be very crucial and important, not only within Israel itself, but when it comes to the image of Israel worldwide vis-a-vis the international community, because Israel was, according to the partition plan, was established as a Jewish state and has to be a democratic state. And now we are talking about compromising uh, this understanding of the state, uh, leaving us in in an open battle, of course, and the next elections that will take place on uh, April 9th uh, coming up uh, will determine how things will develop. Uh, As it seems now from the polls, Netanyahu is going to be again the prime minister. This means this historical bloc is going to continue to control the Israeli political scene and, and continue with these processes. And maybe there is a slight hope with new people coming into the political game to change this uh, whole scene, but we'll have to wait and see until 9th of April. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>
0: Thank you very much, uh, Professor Jamal. There's a lot of discussion over the basic law. Uh, of course, much of it very heated. So it's good to have that comprehensive, kind of measured analysis. Um, so we're going to go to questions now. I'm going to uh, uh, use my chest pocket to, to uh, ask the first question. I should add, my my colleague here, Rosa from the centre, may be going around taking pictures of audience participation. If for some reason you don't want your picture taken when she approaches you, just wave her away politely and that will be fine, okay? Um, as I said, we you go to questions, I ask that you try and make your questions as, as concise as possible, uh, uh, please, to allow as many questions as possible. And um, I'll do it three questions in a row and I'll try to make sure I involve uh, everybody that wants to ask a question. I, I wanted to start off um, and i wanted to start off it, this is more i guess of a uh, academic uh, question around this 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 concept this interesting concept of the transformative constitutional imagination which as you as you, as you uh, put forward is something which is uh, a, a performative uh, political act it 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 helps or tries to constitute a new political reality and it does so um, with something, a constitutional self-understanding, which traditionally is something which is built over time, has lots of historical layers of of of, of events, of meaning, of, of, of kind of cultural baggage. And so the question is around to what extent something like that can be transformative, and what would it take to say that it has been successfully transformative, in the sense that you already pointed out various ways in which this um, self-understanding um, clashes with the, the Declaration of Independence with a certain, shall we call it, egalitarian uh, interpretation of the constitutional sort of self-understanding. A constitutional self-understanding is something which is, which is very, very long-term. Yeah? Um, so it would surely take more than simply passing a law to achieve that kind of... Uh, long standing effect from such a move and you said as it passed the Knesset there was that deep division so what would we need to, to see in Israel in I don't know five, ten years maybe longer and what would it look like were this constitutional self understanding to become more accepted across the whole of Israeli society and what, what, how, would it, how would it be different from what it is now, would it be more the same?
1: Should I answer now? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for, for the question. Uh, it's not that I try to uh, compare and contrast between a rosy reality and a... Uh, uh, a, a new problematic reality. Israel was established as as a Jewish state from 1948. There, there is very well institutionalized discrimination when it comes to Palestinian citizens. Uh, it denies collective rights for the Palestinian citizens and so on and so on. The, the, the issue, uh, the difference, the main difference is between uh, doing it as part of policy making and using majoritarian democracy in order to promote that. Vis a vis the new reality that it becomes the law. Uh, this is different. And one of the examples, two examples that have to be uh, brought up one, what happened in Afula, an Israeli city in the northern eastern part of Israel, a few weeks ago, based on this law, the, the, the new elected mayor of the city decided to close up all parks of the city to Jewish citizens. And uh, surrounding afullah, there are many many arab citizens, uh, citizens uh, villages uh, uh, from which uh, you know uh, Arab citizens come and spend their leisure time in the parks. The decision to close the parks for uh, Arab citizens was based on on the law this is one this is one one uh, uh, example what could happen actually uh, when it comes to the uh, the law. The second thing is actually the, the, the exclusive uh, identity of the state uh, as Jewish uh, has been determined forever. The Declaration of Independence, as I said before, left an open space in which at least one, con- one could re- reconciliate between, uh, you know, the self-determination of the Jewish majority uh, with the civic rights of all citizens, Jews and non-Jews. Uh, This means it doesn't exist anymore. This means that there is a very sophisticated uh, racist ideology that is being promoted by the state officially, established in a way that creates a hierarchy between different types of citizens based on nationality. If you're Jewish, then you are first-class citizen. If you are not Jewish, you are second class citizens. Now, it used to be that way all the time in the sense of policy making. Now it's becoming official. Now it's becoming the ideology of the state. This is the danger of it. Now, when you look at the discourse of people behind the law, you understand this deeply. This is one thing. The other thing, uh, the third point, has to do with the occupied territories. If you define, you know, the land of Israel in which the state of Israel is established, was established as exclusively the uh, affiliated with the Jewish people, it means that no other people can have the right of self-determination in the land of Israel. This closes up any possible negotiations between Israelis and Palestinians for a future state, and this is very serious because uh, any compromise on any piece of land that is considered according to the law, to the Israel law, as part of Israel, Any compromise has to pass a referendum, not a majority in the Knesset, a referendum, which means because the referendum, basic law of referendum was uh, passed a few years ago, and this means a majority among the Jewish community also, knowing what's going on in the Israeli society and the trends taking place in the Israeli society, and those of you who are following the Israeli society, it's becoming more religious, it's becoming more nationalist, becoming more conservative. This means that there will never be a majority within the Israeli society that allows any compromise on any piece of land that is considered part of the land of Israel. This is a revolution, in my view. This is really a a, a big change that has to be uh, taken into consideration.
0: Good. Thank you very much.